Help us to understand that it is thy sacred communication to us without error. For thou art the one who is truth, and it is thy spirit who has communicated and written these words, even from the pens of men. What a wonderful revelation we have. And, O Lord, how we give thanks for thee in terms of your covenant bond to us through the word. In Christ's name, amen. What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? What does it mean that the Bible is inspired? How are we using the term inspiration? As you may or may not know, the term inspiration is a controversial term when applying it to Holy Scripture. It appears in some in some of our English translations of 2 Timothy 3.16. The ESV, as I translated it more appropriately in terms of the Greek, as you have it in your ESV. But it appears in some of our English translations of 2 Timothy 3.16, not on the basis of the Greek text, but on the basis of the Latin version of the Bible called the Vulgate. And the Vulgate was produced around 382 A.D. The Vulgate became the official translation of the Bible from the original Hebrew text of the Old Testament and from the original text of the New Testament, as those texts were translated into Latin for the Roman Catholic Church. The Vulgate was the product of the work of an early church monk whose name was Jerome. Jerome. Perhaps when he came to 2 Timothy 3.16, the text that stands before you this morning, Jerome opted to translate the Greek word theonoustos with a word that was more familiar to Greek and Roman culture and literature. Now you can see (laughs) that in some cases there are translations and we always have to watch translations. Some of them are interpretations rather than interpret in terms of instead of translations. Jerome opted to translate the Greek word theonoustos from the Latin word inspiro, meaning inspiration. Immediately, immediately in terms of culture and literature, 
the use of the term inspiration raises controversy. All the way back into the 8th century B.C., Homer's Greek poems were said to be inspired, for their Greek inspiration is something the audience or reader does not understand. Only the poet, only the poet, only Homer in this particular example, he understands what inspiration is. Here is how the Greek poet is inspired. You may ask, how would a Greek poet think that they are inspired? Well, they are inspired in terms of the poet feels, feels a god. For the Greek, usually the goddesses, the daughters of Zeus, called a muse, M-U-S-E singing to and through him the poet. The key here is this. The muse invokes a feeling, a feeling to and through the poet by song, by song. Eventually, in Greek culture, inspiration is extended beyond poetry and into the arts into the realm of sculpture, even going even further than sculpture, it will eventually, inspiration will also come to be that which is even in the sciences. Now as we turn to Roman culture, as the concept of inspiration evolves, it comes to have a more dominant association with emotion in Roman culture. In continuity with the Greeks' view of feeling, the Romans look for their emotions, look for their emotions to be stimulated, stimulated to inspire poetry that they write, you see, art that they produce, and the science at that time that they would produce. The dominant trait of emotion carries right into the period known as the Renaissance in the 1400s. By this time, you see, concerning the issue of inspiration in that tradition all the way back from the Greeks and the Romans, we are now on the brink of the Reformation. We are now on the brink of the Reformation with this understanding of inspiration. Now, what happened to literary study at the Reformation? Well, during the Renaissance, there was a fascination, a fascination to go back to classicism what does that mean? It means to return to the Greeks, Greeks and the Romans. Renaissance, what does that term mean? Where are our students here this morning? What does the term Renaissance mean? Renaissance means rebirth. Rebirth. Well, you may want to ask, what's being reborn? 
What's being reborn in terms of the Renaissance? What is being reborn is classicism, the classical era. What the Renaissance wants to do is it wants to bring back, you see, Greek and Roman culture and bring it together with Christianity. How many of you, I'm sure almost all of you, have seen the tremendous painting by Michelangelo? If you haven't, go home and look it up today on Google in terms of the Sistine Chapel on the ceiling. It is the great example of Renaissance art. And that great picture is what? God's creation of man. And when you look at that, what you will notice is man is at the same level as God. Same level as God. That's the Renaissance. It's elevation of Greek and Roman humanism, you see, in terms of the secularization of Christianity. So although the Renaissance damaged Christianity by accenting Greek and Roman humanism alongside of Christianity, nevertheless, the Renaissance provided also a positive element against historic Catholicism. The Renaissance stressed strongly the reading of classical literature in their original languages. This meant that the Bible should also be read in its original languages. The Old Testament should be read in terms of, its Hebrew, of the Hebrew language. The New Testament should be read in terms of the Greek language. Now why is this important? Especially as you are looking at right now, and it's so important for us in terms of the church, as you're looking at 2 Timothy 3.16, why is this so important? It is important because people began to question whether the Latin Vulgate should be the official translation of the Bible. The Latin translation. Should that be the official translation of the Bible? The Latin text is not, you see, the original Old Testament and New Testament text. Congregation, hopefully you can see where this is going to go. When the Reformation dawned, if a controversy arose between the Reformers and the Roman Catholic Church, and they both appealed to Scripture for their argument, then the Roman Catholic Church would appeal to the Latin Vulgate. But the Protestants said, no. We are not interested in the Latin translation that appears in the Vulgate. Rather, we appeal to the original text of the Bible. 
if we're going to have a debate on a certain passage of Scripture, we are going to invoke the Hebrew in an Old Testament text, and we are going to invoke the Greek in the New Testament text. We're going back to the original documents. For this reason, then the reformers thought they had appealed to a higher authority, a more pure authority, by appealing to the original Hebrew and Greek text. They were going back to the real text of Scripture. This is part of the Reformation battle cry concerning sola scriptura. Is that the battle cry in this congregation? Concerning the doctrine of Scripture? Is it sola scriptura? By Scripture alone? Not only is Scripture the sole authority in faith and life over against the traditions of men, but it is the sole authority of Scripture in their original languages. The Protestant tradition has rightly accented the original autographs of Scripture as written from the pen of its authors and through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 1, Section 8. Now, <laughs> now, I would like to say something that is out of my own personal conviction. If there is a Greek word that I think every member in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ should know, and there could be others, monogynous, for example, only begotten, but if there is a Greek word also that all members in the Christian church should be definitely aware of and should know, it is the Greek word that appears here in our text in 2 Timothy 3.16 with respect to what English translations have done concerning inspiration. I think every lay person should know the Greek word that appears here in this text. The Greek word is theonoustos. Theonoustos. What does the Greek word literally mean? It means God breathed. God spirited. Break it down. Theo is the term for God. Neustos, breathe or spirit. Say it to yourself in your own mind, even this morning. Theo Neustos, God breathe. Now, why is that so important? Why is that so important? 
Well, as we'll see here in a moment, let me at the same time interrupt myself at this point and address all of us together as well as parents. Okay, (laughs) Pastor Bill has another assignment for us for this week. Oh, no. in your home okay we have another assignment for you you said I would like to see and have you think about this this week especially as you are at the dinner table with your families or if you are by yourself whatever the situation may be in terms of your own home I would like you to think of this recite the word Theonustos and ask if there are others there what does it mean? What does it mean? God breathed. God spirited. Do that. Get it into the minds of of the people here and into your children as well. Why is it important? Well, you want to be culturally relevant? You want a culturally relevant statement in the Bible? You must grasp the impact of this statement by Paul to Timothy, serving in a culturally rich Greek city of Ephesus. O congregation, you must not, you must grasp the powerful statement given to Paul to Timothy. This is a powerful, riveting statement that sets apart, sets apart the Bible from Greek literature as well as the Greek arts and science. By the New Testament era, Greek literature, arts, and science were all inspired by the divine muse as they worked, as they invoked a feeling, a feeling to and through the artist and the scientist by song. By song. In contrast, in contrast to this mythological and humanistic construction of human feelings, as well in terms of the Roman culture, in terms of emotions, Paul's statement is incredibly powerful, forceful, direct, simple. The literal translation of the verse in front of you is all Scripture is God-breathed. Is God-breathed. By the direction of the Holy Spirit, Paul takes on the Greek culture addressing Timothy. Paul has just torn apart, torn apart the mythological and humanistic construction of inspiration. There's a sense you see that 2 Timothy 3.16 is apologetics in action. 
by Paul. In other words, what I mean by that is he is defending the truth of the Christian religion against this pagan culture all around him. And he's doing that forcefully. We want our covenant children to embrace the Word of God all their lives. Do we know? Do we know family members? Do we have them and seen them who all of a sudden they think they know more than the Bible? Bible. The Bible was written back there when all the literature was mythical. Homer. <laughs> Aeneid. Virgil. All that literature. That stuff was mythical. The Bible's just part of that. Are you seeing what God is saying into the pagan culture? My word is God-breathed. The word of the Bible has nothing to do with mythology. It's Theo Neustos. That's what we present in our covenant homes all the days of our lives. You see, the scripture is the product of the one and only true God, specifically the Holy Spirit who writes Christ's letter to the covenant people of God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Furthermore, the Holy Scriptures is not the product of the muses stimulating human feelings or emotions through the emotional chords of song. Reading the scripture is totally different than going to a rock concert. Or listening to your music. Totally different. Know what Timothy needs to understand in his cultural situation is this. The Bible is the sole product of God's breath. Every word that appears in Scripture is the result of God's breath. The Bible is the breathed 
out words of God in contrast to this humanistic element of the Greeks we receive even further assistance from the Holy Spirit through Peter when he writes that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man by feelings by the emotions by song or whatever other form of artistic aspect. But Peter points out Scripture came by holy men who were spoke, moved by the Holy Spirit. The writers of Scripture are moved solely by the power of the Holy Spirit. Their emotions are not played, are not played with by song. Congregation, is it clear? Is it clear to you this morning? The Bible is simply the Word of God. It is the actual product of God's breath. Every single word comes from Him. I plead with you not to become confused with the continuing humanistic platform that has come down even into our day, that human beings sit around waiting for a certain inner feeling and emotion to stir their soul to create their own work, whether it be writing a poem, drawing a picture, writing a song, making a scientific discovery, whatever. Such human activity has no relationship to what Paul is speaking about to Timothy. Scripture is solely the product of God's activity. And that is final. Moreover, since the Bible is the product of God's activity, the Bible is the book that records, records the activity of God in history infallibly. This Bible is alone the source of making Timothy and each of us this morning wise, wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. We're back to verse 15, aren't we? Always back to verse 15 in terms of the context of what Paul is writing to Timothy. So I'm asking you, all of us in our families, this is 
Now we are into this series. A few sermons into this series. I'm asking you, as we are developing this series, how is your wisdom coming? How is your wisdom coming? How is your wisdom coming for your salvation? How is your wisdom coming for your salvation in relationship to your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you employing what I said in the first sermon? In this series? Have you been employing that when you have done your devotions, when you have read your devotions, when you've had your family devotions? Have you done that? Have you asked that question, number one question that you ask concerning reading the text? How does this particular text in Scripture make me wise unto the salvation I have in Jesus Christ. How does it enable me to embrace Jesus by faith? Are you asking that question? Remember what we said? That was at the heart and soul of these two saints in raising Timothy, Eunice and Lois. That was the question they placed upon reading Scripture to this child who blossomed in faith. So ask yourself, how's it coming along in your own life? Don't leave here this morning without conviction by the word of God into your own heart and its truthfulness. There, there is the gospel of life, of life for each of us. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we are so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are thankful that we have the message about his redemption and salvation for his church, for each of us. We ask, O Lord, that we would continue to be diligent with thy word, that we would read it, that we would be those children who live by it, and that we do see it as a blessing, as so sweet in our hearts and in our souls each day. Strengthen us 
Strengthen us to be obedient and diligent to the reading and living faithfully out of thy word. In Christ's name, amen.